0: Hi, my name is Elijah and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. My special guest this week is Mark Tucker. Mark is a music producer, a composer, an engineer, and he also designs studios. He's had 20 years of experience making records, working with bands like Portishead, PJ Harvey, Ian Gillan, Fairport Convention, and many, many more. We speak about his life as a producer and engineer, about songwriting, arrangements, and much, much more. So enjoy this podcast, remember to subscribe, and whilst I've got your attention, my book, The Songwriter's Handbook, is now available on Amazon. Inside, there are 52 ideas, subjects, and themes in which I explore and ask you questions to think about subjects and find an idea seed or spark for a new song a new lyric or a piece of creative writing so do yourself a favour and get a copy and I can guarantee you you'll get a song or an idea from it or if you've got someone in your family who's just started being creative and you want to get them a gift which is actually going to be useful and uh, pay them dividends in terms of creativity check it out on Amazon The Songwriter's Handbook by Elijah Wolf with an E-W-O-L-F-E Anyway that's enough of my sales pitch so over to the podcast with Mark Tucker Joining me today on my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters, is producer, composer and engineer, Mark Tucker. How are you doing, Mark? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Thank, thank you, see you again. I haven't seen you for a few years. It's been, this, last time I saw you, was that when you were just... Pre-COVID, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just when you were doing developing your home studio. How's that gone?
1: Uh, well, it's been an interesting um, four years, shall we say. I uh, had a lot of personal, well, I lost three of my members of my family before lo- uh, before lockdown and that then we hit lockdown and it was a kind of wipeout period for me. So, lockdown was very surreal. And it's the last two years have really been a case of coming out of that. Uh, succinctly with the music business picking up again, because there were a good two and a half years there that the music business was seriously affected. I mean, despite that, we had a number one at ARC Studios with the Frank Turner record wow. in 20. It was recorded in 21, but released in early 22. That was a, a, a number one, which was fantastic. That was a sort of, the height of uh, lockdown,
0: you know, the best thing about lockdown. Everything else was pretty, pretty grim. Brilliant. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's good. What, what's Frank like to work with? He's lovely.
1: Yeah, he's a sweetie. Absolute sweetie. You know, there's no twists and fans with Frank. You know where you are and he, to, he knows what he wants to do. It was with um, Rich Costi producer Rich Costi we had a, in fact we were kind of pioneering in in that it was the, I'm sure people have done lots of um, audio mover sessions because the software's been around for some time but it was um we got a a, a, um, a first with um Pensado's place with um Rich Costi announcing that he's been working he couldn't say anything about the studio or the artist because it was um you know, there was pre-release and there's a, they'd lock it all down. But um, Egon Pensado's place on his interview, interview talking about his experience working at ARC, which was lovely because it was kind of pioneering, pioneering for him, certainly. And he was saying how good it was to do. So he's on the, his iMac, uh, iPad in the control room every day at 12 o'clock. He's in Vermont, I think it was, with his G-Series G studio. So we had matching consoles. Uh, so we're streaming high res to his place in in Vermont, and uh, yeah, it worked. It, it's surprising, and a lot of work that I do now is done through audio viewers. Wow, two way stuff. It's not just like one way stream for monitoring. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a bit clunky. I'm not I'm not that keen on the software. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, like I, most of my work is probably out of England at the moment, so it's um, yeah. Amazing! I'm, I'm building a studio in 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 Sweden, which is nice. That's that's going to be exciting. That's a, an SSL Delta. Going to be it's going to look like a
0: spaceship. That one It's going to be very cool. So uh, you create and manage studios as well as being a composer and producer. Then it's something that you kind of design them.
1: Yeah, well, I I kind of got into it. I didn't get into it in a hurry. Like, it took me twenty five years to really kind of think, oh fuck, it. I can do this. You know, it's like. And it's, not, it's a non-linear thing. You've got to know the maths. You've got to know the science as a basis. But then depending on the room, it's like you have to throw all that away uh, and go into like things like they call infinity, um, Alpha Infinity, which is like using the building to, to treat the acoustics, which most studios, if you're talking about an existing building, there are inner things in there that are going to be problematic. Anyway, my first experience with a, a big-name acoustic company, that was at Press House. Um, which you know. Just a barn, basically, that we built a wall and had an upstairs, downstairs, kind of kitchen room, live room upstairs. Do you remember it? Yeah. And, uh, and we had, like, um, we started out with a DDAD, I think, and then we went through, like, uh, AMEC Hendricks, which was nice, and then we went through MTA, uh, Malcolm Toft. So we had three different desks over, I mean, it was 22 years that I was there. So it was really after I left Press House and we had we made some great records at press house that's there's there's a legacy there which is you know i'm very proud of even though it's not in the you google it it's like you have to hunt very hard to find reference to press House studio but we had number one records you know it was like an international records as well so it was that was fun Porter's head and beth gibbons and um yeah ian gillen um all kinds of all kinds of uh, interesting bands it was a different scene then. Even though the '80s was a declining market, that was when all the record companies started to diminish. So it's it's been a been a challenge. But it was yeah, it was after Press House. I I suddenly thought. In fact, somebody asked me to build a studio for them, and <laughs> I went ahead and did it, and kind of enjoyed that process. Uh, I don't go looking for the work, but I got another call a number of years later to do Arc, and that was a kind of Uh, It was like a culmination of all of the things that I'd learned about acoustics and studios, and I took a slightly brave approach to it and using limp mass, so it was like lead tuned, lead-lined, lead-faced, airtight boxes that are tuned to specific frequencies. Wow. Um, And then obvious basic trapping using rock wall and fiberglass and stuff like that, all your kind of traditional stuff. But when we did it, it was like the guy from uh, Adam came in to commission, the monitors. And he was like, this is really good. It was like, this is the best sounding Adam. And we had two people say that, that this is the best sounding Adam room I've ever heard. Wow. So, yeah, he was like blown away with it. And I was a bit kind of like, oh, well, wow. you know, I knew I knew the, the, the curve of the room. I knew the, the you know, the frequency response to the room. And it's it's pretty damn accurate. It's, like, well within the highest of, of standards. But it is pretty impressive if you ever um, are around to hear it. The hip-hop guys love it because yeah. it, the sub in there is just, like, tight and really impressive. And you can monitor quite loud, and it's it's not... Over- Some people find it overwhelming, but it's, like, it's not... It doesn't hurt your ears. one of those kind of very open sounds. <laughs> listen, so, listen. yeah, I, I think... Sorry, sorry, go on. There's, there's, there's a lot to
0: be said for like the um the sort of science, like you said, the scientific and technical aspects of a studio sound and space is like really important. And the same with gear and equipment. As a producer, like when you've got an mm-hmm. app in, you know, I guess you can kind of control the technical and scientific uh, element of recording by having great equipment, like you said, by soundproofing a room, by using the room as best you can to make sure the sound's good. But then there's also that magical, sort of um, uncontrollable creative element with an act as well. What kind of like balance do you find there is between the technical and the kind of uh, creative aspect and how do you manage those two things with an artist? I don't even think about it
1: because I I work within whatever means I've got available and I'm quite happy working in a house, you know, it's like, um, I'm trying to think of the record. Simon Emerson, bless him. Yeah. The late Simon Emerson um, called me up one day, and said, I've got a record to do. Um, oh, what's the guy called? The Folky. Um, Chris Wood. Handmade, handmade Life. Wonderful record. And it was, if you'd seen the environment, it was at, at, Chris, at Simon's um, chapel, which is his home setup. So it's a tiny little room downstairs with stairs going up and uh, a little live room that literally your head is like this in the apex, not unlike where I see you there. Yeah. So uh, um, Andy Gangadine is in there with his drums. And I'm like, I I walked in there and just thought, fuck, this is not a good room for recording drums. We're going to have to get creative here. But but it, it worked fine. And it's like, if you listen to that, I mean, I was doing like uh, some weird MS thing with the vocal and guitar. It was like a weird combination. It was non-standard. And I just thought, fuck it, I'm going to go for this. Because of the acoustics of the room, I just, it was limited options. And I had these like Oralex screens. It was just like anechoic kind of setup, really. Just to get that boxiness, that 500, out of the equation. Um, and the same thing with the drums. You would never know really listen to it. It's... I don't think so. I think it's a it's a good sounding record. Um, but so it's just like get on with it. That's my approach: is shut up yeah. and get on with it. You know, if people start whinging about, oh, it's not uh, it's not sounding right because of you know, it's like really at the end of the day, whether it's the U forty seven, U eighty seven, you know, it it's made the record. Yeah, keep the energy flow. That's my that's my approach.
0: I had I was recording a guy the other day actually, um, who's a great songwriter called Charlie Eves. And uh, he's yep. one of the guys, he, he plays all the time. So his songs are great and he's rehearsed up. And I had him in the studio to start his album. And for some reason, on that day, both my microphones went down. It must have been cold or something. So anyway, the session carried on. So I kind of thought, well, I have to cancel this session or I'm just going to get four mm. sure SM58s, rig them round him. There and, you go. And just see what happens. And it actually sounded there great. There you go. Just from yep, carrying on. Yeah, exactly.
1: Sm fifty, give me an SM fifty seven. If I've got a U eighty seven, happy days, you know. But you know, fifty sevens, fat fifty eights, great mic. That's that is a mic. Yeah. You can throw it against the wall and it will still work. Exactly. You know, that's that to me. You know, that's that's a lot of the kind of deal for me. Yeah, is I just want it to work. I don't want to be faffing around with stuff. I don't want to be kind of distracted by technology because I've always worked in compromised situations. Press House wasn't. Going back to the acoustics of Press House, the company that installed the acoustics, uh, the, the the treatment in there, I think we spent 30 grand. And the guy turned up twice with his little laptop, some old laptop, and did some analysis of the room, which, you know, at the time it was like, oh, this is deep science. No, he just put a bloody measurement mic up in a few positions and then printed out the the, the readings and interpreted those into what the room was talking back at the mic, you know? so but the my point was that he when he came back he just brought these phone these dense phone panels that were like free, um free made they could have been made out of you know rock wool and some timber and they weren't scientifically tuned that's for sure they yeah. were just big panels of phone so i just suddenly thought wow all that bullshit with the computer and to charge that much money you know so i started delving into it because i just thought we've been ripped off this is like he's taking a piss and okay he's got a living to do but i think you know that was golden days where he could probably get away with it and now it's a little bit different yeah, yeah. um as are many things so it's yeah it was an interesting learning curve and then i it, you know i've literally just done it as um as a you know, somebody asked me, I don't go looking for it. Like I say, it's something that I enjoy doing. Um, I enjoy the challenge of this, this kind of, um you know, nothing's perfect unless you're building a CEO from scratch where you can do all the, the kind of, I think it's bolt, you know, you, you do all the kind of the maths into the structure. So it works. Um But uh, uh, when you've got kind of, beams running through into offices or you know resonating floors and you can't change the floor we had a big problem with the floor arc right so i had to stiffen that up to try and eliminate a sort of 20 hertz resonation coming off this big flat like a sounding board that would like a guitar top um but i like that challenge you know and i like the 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 kind of coming up creatively with some alternative way of of um thinking about sound um, edge diffusers and that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of controversy in acoustics. You, you, you know, if you pick the top five acousticians in 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 the world, they're they're always bickering to each other about what is best and what works best. And it's like just get on with it. Again, it's the same thing. You know, the room either sounds good or it doesn't. Yeah, That's yeah. the bottom line. You know, when, there, and there have been plenty of studios that defy science in that
0: regard. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that there's that studio. I think it's um, who's the guy right. who did um, the Steve albini There's a great documentary with I think Dave Grohl going through um different studios, and the place he's got looks bonkers. You know, that sort of angles and the kind of the way it, you know he's obviously designed it, or he's used the place he, he's in and kind of worked with it. But you know, different places have different sounds, don't they? So there's that element yeah. of working within the yeah. place. You know. Yeah.
1: Well, Rock, Rock, Rockfield was one of those examples, really, when it started out, and it's made some fantastic albums in that sort of that early era. Yeah, and there was no real; it wasn't, it wasn't like in terms of a modern studio. There was no real serious. Um,
0: it was kind of funky, you know. So, with that in mind, then one of the questions I was going to ask you is because, yeah, I suppose like you know, if you're recording lots and lots of different artists from different genres, what do you think an artist needs to think about when they take a song to make a record? Um,
1: get the arrangement right. Make sure that, that that they're they're ready. Really, I think that the arrangement is is key to that. Uh, the lyric, obviously, but then uh, most people, are like yourself, probably last minute. While you you're at doing the vocal, you'll be changing a word or doing something that's a modification. I'm not a songwriter. I mean, I compose stuff and I do music, uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a songwriter. I'm a composer. I think you correctly introduced me there. So just to be clear, I don't write lyrics.
0: If I did, they'd be shit. It would be... um... (laughs) It's it's quite interesting to to hear your thoughts because I've spoken to Chris Potter, Peach Weir and Youth and yourself. um, And the the reason for talking to you you guys is obviously I'm a fan of what you do and and the work you make, but it's very interesting... For songwriters who tune into this podcast, and for me as well, to get the kind of insight from people like yourself, because you're working with songwriters and great songwriters, and you're largely responsible for making those songs into great records. One of the things that I've learned on my uh, path, and they're very simple things, but you've you've mentioned already, arrangement is very key. Uh, tempo is is key.
1: Oh God, yeah, tempo, absolutely. That's a big one. Yeah, it, it's difficult when you're you're not working to click. Because then you've got that variable that's always kind of living and breathing. Every take can be slightly different, particularly with the the least experienced musicians, like young bands. Um, I had an an experience recently where I measure the band. You know, I this was a case of I book pre-production a day, day and a half pre-production. Didn't happen because somebody was ill. It didn't, just didn't happen. Next minute, the studio, different band that they'd split up and reformed. So it's like this absolute chaotic uh, scenario. And they're all like 18, yeah, man, you know, kind of everything's like... Bah. And um, they turn up and it's like, okay, we're just going to go, you know. It's like, just take it and go for it. And it was speeding up and slowing down. If I'd said right we're going to do it to click track it would have killed it you know it's like that would have been the death nail so it was recognizing and i'm not scared of clicks it's just knowing that the people you're working with yeah understand how to work with click because it's like mm. or if the track is absolutely needing a click and yeah. sometimes i'll do dance stuff that's non-click yeah. i mean some of the flute stuff is pretty pounding beat stuff and they don't use a click. None of their stuff has been recorded to click. It's all live. And okay. most of my stuff is live. All of the stuff I did with Fairport was live. Most of the stuff I did with Martin Barr was 60%, 70% live. Um, that's kind of what I like. And I kind of like the setup that I've got here, which is like a big live room. I can have a whole band in the room. Sometimes if we're doing live without click, don't even need headphones. So we're all just live, you know, which is... Oh, natural kind of and it does change the energy and the flow and the communication everything is a lot easier second you go to these the headphone thing it's a different thing you have gotta have experience to be able to deal with that um and it takes time to get set up and so yeah i'm i'm into the intuitive thing really that's it's like much more driven and felt really i would like to think that's what
0: yeah i think so. i think i was speaking to i think chris potter mentioned this actually but like a lot of the um uh, bands of the sixties, seventies, until I suppose until computers came in and started, and since came in where where the metronome became more important. A lot of those older records, there's this, there's a feeling because sometimes you listen to like a Stones track and it's out of time. You know, there's some of the some of the um, players that are out of time or it speeds up, slows uh, down. Yeah. There's that feeling of a band yeah, or was, just be, being in a room. That's playing. right, exactly. And it's great to hear that you believe in that and uh, have yeah, that yeah. a way to work. Yeah.
1: Well, that was that was. I mean, my my one claim to fame was working with Gus Dudgeon for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And when I met him, I thought, oh, I, he was like dressed in a pink suit and had rose tinted glasses. Turned up in a, I think it was a Mercedes Sports something, and he smelt a very expensive perfume. And it was a he was an, introduced from uh, he's a friend of Dave Mattox because he'd done a lot of stuff with um, Elton. Yeah. And I just thought, oh god, this is going to be interesting. You know, this this will be fun and it was it was really good and he was a lovely guy and he he had that because i mean he started out a of recording the early stone stuff yeah. um it was literally right gus go and you see that you see those china graph marks on the the, the, the recorder on the two track um don't let the needles go over that mark but he told me this story and it's like wow that's the rolling stones you know it's like so anyway yeah he was great and he had that very um you know it's just like get on with it and enjoy it. he He was a dream to work with, yeah, yeah,
0: um you other producers have said this, and I'm sure you 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 probably might have the same experience. Um, how much of your job is um to do with kind of the psychology of bands or being a therapist for a band or helping people in that way?
1: Um, people tell me that that's what I'm good at. I get people saying you kind of did stuff there that I you know was really kind of. They noticed, but I don't tend to think it's kind of intuitive because I, 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 I've I been doing it for so long. I don't really think about that. It's, it's, a, it's a very intuitive process. So I'm just I'm yeah I'm probably aware that people are more, more difficult if somebody's a difficult personality. You know, there's some ego flying that's just sort of making everybody slow to, to move. Um That's quite hard. And yeah, I would then go into psychology or even removal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but in generally, 99% of, of the sessions that I've worked on, people are fantastic and, and there's never a problem. And I think I'm blessed with a lot of the people that I work with. Um, they're doing it for real. They're, they're, they're working live acts on the festival circuit. And, um, yeah, I mean, everybody's lovely, you know, I've had like, Two people that I've just had a real problem. With three, maybe, but it's like, and they were that was sort of ugly stuff, you know. It's like not not good. But that out of how many thousand others, that's a pretty good ratio. So now musos, working musos, you can't be dysfunctional or a problem because it doesn't. You can't survive, you know. People won't tolerate it. So it's like most of them are
0: excellent. Excellent. You mentioned something a little bit earlier on, um, which was quite interesting, Um, if you don't mind just delving into this for a second, but you've mentioned that like, you know, you've, you've obviously had some personal stuff going on with family members and stuff, but it doesn't often get talked about where, you know, because we're in a creative environment where we have to either perform, entertain or be creative that's a, that's okay on a good day if you're feeling kind of great and everything's going well that's 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 great but if you have to turn that on when things aren't so good or are challenging um you still have to find that spark and that kind of uh that thing so how how do you kind of um what advice well, you, how do you manage that yeah
1: and i've had days where i've i've been struggling for whatever reason probably the worst example would be a hangover <laughs> but um <laughs> I think psychologically, if I'm you know low going into work is like a saviour in that sense. It's like that's the one place one and I, and because I'm very much in that spontaneous kind of flow of things, that's the the headspace where time is kind of you know not a factor. You know, it's like oh, where did the time go? So it it really you're removing yourself from that experience. Um, I remember on the Chris Wood, funny enough, this the, another Chris Wood story with. Simon. Simon wasn't in the room very much, but if you look at the songs on that record, I was going bursting into tears. Every song would be like, oh, I'd just break down. I'd be sort of like looking at the speakers with a box of tissues, you know, just trying to cover up the fact that I I kept breaking down. But that wasn't a problem, other than you know my keyboard was maybe a little bit soggy, you know, it was. (laughs) <laughs> I what, think I think Chris was
0: flattered at the end of it really. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> what, what 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 do you see your role as as a producer then in terms of because different producers have different ways of thinking about their roles and making records. So how would you describe your role?
1: It depends on the job massively, the brief and the, the artist and the job. So it's, it's I'm always measuring the job. Do I want to do it? Because I've turned, I've turned down quite a lot of work just on the basis that I don't want to do it. I don't want to put myself into a a position that, A, I'm not going to do them uh, a favor and do good work, but also, um, you know, it's, I don't want to be in a stressful situation. So, you know, I don't want to stress myself. Um, Managing stress in in the role of a producer. I mean, it's it's, often producers are probably over 50 years old anyway. I mean, most of the top guys are, are like mature. And I'm well mature. And uh, it's, um, yeah, it's that that thing of you you learn to manage that process. So it being, um, like Rich Costi, his his working day was at six, eight hours. I think most people that have made enough records, you, and I'm probably up to like 200 and some odd, 200 and, must be between 200 and 250 albums. Um, so it's, once you've made 50, you kind of got the measure of what's stressful, like those records. When you come out of out of those records, and you're like, "God, I hated that." It was like I oh. can't listen to the record for whatever reason. It was just a a painful experience. It's like that's to be avoided. Yeah, you know, it's got to be pleasurable. So, <laughs> as far as the, the 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 sort of motivation of of measuring a job, it is that that broad criteria of do I want to do the job and then it's done. Is it a click job or is it a combo of click and non-clip? Sometimes some albums have been mapped out, non-click, you know, t- uh, tempo map kind of thing. So that you might start without a click and then the click comes in for the middle and then it drops off at the end and you go wild on the run out. It, it can be anything. Yeah. So, and it's measuring that kind of thing. Um, it, what's best for the, the job, you know, but always trying to keep it. Fast. i mean there's always a financial criteria as well you know rarely do i ever have the 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 luxury of like oh let's spend an afternoon making funky noises you know and, and we might use one of them it just doesn't unless you know you're just it's a lovely day and you're just sort of chilling and mucking about
0: and uh no it's it's um yeah Absolutely. you know yeah having worked with lots of different songwriters um again from different genres do you think there's like a common link between songwriters do you think there's something which is uh they've all share or some kind of uh yeah they're
1: all they're all egotistical and um fucking pain in the ass no no they're they're they are of a type you know because they're in that they're like poets you know that's how i'd liken them they're, they're poets and, and they can be a bit, you know, precious. Yeah. Um. The folk world is 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 interesting. You know, when you've got songs that have got like 25 verses, and you say maybe we should cut the song down from 14 minutes, which is prog kind of proportions, to maybe five and a half, and it means losing, you know, four verses, and they're like, oh my god, you know, it's like they can't. I can't be doing with it personally. It's like it's that's that I find kind of like the attention span. Yeah, it's it's from the sublime to the ridiculous in terms of the pop two and a half to frog rock, rock. Yeah, which is indulgent, but fun. Like on another level, it's like a.
0: Yeah, it can be not always. You know, who who are so, your favorite songwriters? Yourself. What songwriters do you love?
1: Peter Gabriel. Uh, I think he's. I mean, his new stuff is just as good as anything he's ever done, and I think he's a, as great an artist as a as a composer as he is a songwriter. You know, some of like the the Last Rites of Christ, uh, the Passion album. That's some amazing. of that is just so yeah. evocative. Yeah, um, uh, the, I love uh, John Martin. I'm a kind of bit of a, part back to the seventies. That's what I grew up listening to. Um all those like the doors and stuff like that. So it's um you know, but yeah Peter Gabriel just does it every time for me. And you know he's still doing it. He's still in fact he's as good now as he ever was.
0: In in the age of like everybody having a laptop, everybody getting software, everybody sort of having the um capability of making their own records in their bedroom and then having studios mm-hmm. uh, like an old school kind of way going into studios you know there mm-hmm. I, I like working in studios and with producers because I I really think that this uh, delegation is important in making a record and having people there that have their own skills which is separate from being mm-hmm. an artist and a producer and an engineer is to me it's stressful. Absolutely
1: yeah yeah well that was that was one of my early experiences that having been a musician and played in numerous bands for years probably for 20 years before i actually went into recording um it was that thing of my band i've got a studio it was like early press house days my band i've got a studio i'm going to produce my band you know it's like that experience of and i think you'll relate to this because i think we had conversation about this when we last spoke but that thing of Embarking into something highly creative and, and quite taxing and and realising I was engineering, I was producing and playing. Yeah. You can't do it. It just doesn't work. And, I, and all those records. And I I the guy that mentored me, Brad Davis, um, a New York um, engineer and producer, um, he taught me an awful lot about, he came from that, um, uh, what was the A&R a and a, a and Studios in New York, which was like a, a soundtrack. Studio Phil Ramone, yeah. You'd have an arranger. You might even have two arrangers because they'd be arranging for the horn section and, and and strings, and then you know there'd be the kind of the bat, the ensemble kind of arranger, and then there'd be two or three engineers, and um, you know, the producer. Um, so it's this stacked delegation of, of roles within all of those great records that you know and soundtracks. That there were two takes, you know, it was like they had to be on it to to kind of deliver. There was a time uh, constraint. Two takes. You've got an afternoon slot for the whole movie soundtrack, and I love all that. That was that was my. I mean, I started out with jingles with Brad. We had a jingle company, and we'd be going to London or wherever, and we'd hire singers and horn sections and all oh, drummers and you know. But we'd go in a day. We'd do like two or three sessions and with a trolley of two-inch tapes and a file of recall sheets. And it was just a nightmare. But, yeah, it was that chop-em-out kind of mentality. It was like, really, you couldn't fuck it up. You couldn't, if you missed something. And that was what Brad taught me. He gave me a great foundation. It was like, keep your pencil sharp. You've got to be ahead of me. That's your job as an assistant is be ahead of me. Think ahead of me. Yeah. And, and I it did me, you know, you never sort of asked about with microphones. You had to go, right. We're going to use omnis. We're going to and commit. It was all about committing everything. Your decision making was a, you know, the equipment. Everything was committal. The mixing was committal. You know, we pre pre automation. I mean, yeah, we did some SSL mixes and stuff. But you know, back twenty five years ago, most of it was, you know, hands on. And you'd be like taping four faders together with a pencil so that you could do, you know, on the groups or something. You know, it's like little slithers of masking tape with like tiny little black markers on and then a huge crib sheet where you had right perform and there'd be four people in the control right trying to write these everybody's got their crib sheet and the time and then the time would shift on the tape machine so every time you rewind you'd lose three seconds on the, the the cue point so you'd always be having to listen you might have a You'd be looking at the 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 uh, remote with the time display, but it could be five seconds out. So you couldn't just go five seconds is my cue. It, it was like you had to listen, yeah. and it was very much a different world. The whole thing of computers and having grown through that, and it fucked me up when I first got. I bought Soundscapes as a as a hard disk system. Whenever it was, that it first came out mid nineties, maybe late nineties, uh, early two maybe two thousand. I can't remember now. But yeah, I lost seven years to that transition. Yeah, and I did the same thing because I went from soundscapes, and I was like, do I go to Pro Tools? And at that point, I just didn't like Pro Tools. I went to Logic, which was kind of a bad decision. But I don't know, it's 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 a mindfuck. The whole computer, um, you know, the 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 sort of creative uh, process of you know, I used to be pacing around the room, and you'd reach over and you'd be doing two things on the mixer at once but going back to this sort of mouse this little tiny thing that your finger is controlling on the screen and you're you're fixed to a a computer display yeah it's all very um it's not conducive it's not conducive to music and and i I talk a lot about this uh, uh, young people that come out only knowing computers and that you've got this amazing computer with everything available it's like, that's an amazing perspective. But, you know, and without wanting to sound like a grumpy old bastard, it's, you know, when you've sat next to a tape machine, there's a tape for a year and a half before you're actually allowed to do anything creative. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the kind of, that whole process of the recording process. Uh, and most of it isn't like, yeah, do it again, 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 edit for about five hours, you know, which is largely a lot of stuff now is that sort of, throw it down, edit it. You know, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. Yeah, But it's like, there's a, it's a different perspective if you understand that core creative yeah. process and and chemistry, um,
0: which I like to think I do. I think something's gained and something's lost, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm, I mean, it's wonderful. The thought of going back to it
0: is an absolute
1: nightmare, yeah. you know, literally you know, tonight, oh, control, like, save, right, come back tomorrow morning, it sounds exactly the same. Yeah. The thought of going back and spooling up, you know, how many reels and then having to clean the machine, line the machine up, you know, recall something, all of the photographs, I mean, just having photographs of the desk and the outboard was, like, the amazing progress. Before that, it was longhand. and. Yeah. You'd have to work in the studio for like an hour after the session or two hours to do all your paperwork.
0: Um, but do an accountancy. <laughs> Mark, a couple more questions for you. And thank you for your time. But we spoke a bit earlier about um, songwriters or artists being ready to record and things they could do in terms of arrangement. But just in, in the context of, of all your experience of working with different songwriters, what advice would you give uh, songwriters?
1: Not be precious to work quickly don't record your ideas when you've got an idea keep that idea in your head and work it in your head before you actually put it down and try to distill everything into a kind of um you know i think the working quickly is a is a good thing get your idea down as quickly as you can even if it's just like a verse idea you know if it's just a verse just you know if you've got that kind of front Thing. just get it down don't a lot of people are like they've gone over and over and over and over and over and over and over they listen to it like 60 times and it's like four chords you know 24 bars and it's like you know, listen to it a million times and i, I seriously think you, you're better off if you put the idea down and then or if it will work it in your mind before you put it down yeah Awesome. what's working what's not it's like a mix you know you can work on a mix for 15 hours and think yeah I'm getting it and then you listen in the morning it's like this is shit i just wasted a whole day you
0: know that's great because so, what you're saying there really is like be a songwriter do the work put it in your head do the actual work as a songwriter which is great you know
1: so I think to be able to visualize music and to train your your internal ear is a big thing, which I think that's helped me with with production a lot.
0: Where you it's
1: you know, it's a it's a very connected um, emotion.
0: Yeah. Okay. My final question, Mike. Um, if you could have been, was well, two questions actually. If you could have worked on any record that you didn't work on, what were record would you love to have worked on?
1: Oh, that's a bloody question, isn't it? Um, wow. Probably. Um... I don't know, Black and Blue, The Rolling Stones. Nice, nice. That would be very interesting.
0: <laughs> yes. And final question, if, if, if there's anybody you haven't worked with yet, or maybe they're not here anymore on this on this uh, planet, but who would you love to work with or who would you have loved to work with?
1: Miles Davis, um, I don't know, Bob Dylan, um, you know, John Martin tantalizing situation where it was this was back in Press House days and I worked with John's band, all of his band I know very well, and have made numerous records in various formats. And I was like saying to Sven, I was like, Spen, I want to I want to record John. This was like um and era. I don't know if you know that album. He was kind of on the the tailing off at that point, but it's still a good record. But it's like Spen would say, you don't want to work with John. You just don't want to work with John. Okay. And he knew what the process was was like. And um, but the guys at the back of Press House would, that were doing remixes were doing remixes of on on the cobbles. And yeah. and then Head, who you know, um, yeah, the yeah. producer Head, yeah, yeah. He he was. I was working with Head on some record at Press House, and he takes a call, and it was John's manager. And he—he's—I he, could hear him say John Martin, and I was like, "What the fuck?" It's like these guys—they're they're remixing. I could hear John Martin coming out of the back room. Heads talking to John Martin's manager. It's like I know his band really well, and it's like, "No, I want the job. Why aren't I getting the job?" It, I mean, I, you know, it's one of those. I'd love to have worked with John.
0: Fantastic. So there are many. Yeah, well, John Martin is a great choice, a great, great choice. And do you, this is a difficult question, but and it's, it's going to change every day. Do you, do you have like a a favorite song?
1: no, I don't, because uh, it's like my favorite top ten changes every day. Yeah, sure. You know, it's like it, it's one of those. It, you ask me next week, it'll be different, and you know, it, it could be current. It could be like really eclectic or you know, old. So yeah, it's um ever changing. Yeah, that's a, you know, never changing. Yeah. And it's moods as well. It's like it's a bit like um, you know, how you feel when you want to listen to music. You might want to listen to some disco or some funk. Yeah. Or you might might want to listen to John Martin or yeah. Nick Drake or something. You know, so it's it's all about mood and how much coffee you've drunk and how late it is or early. You know, it's that
0: kind of thing. Brilliant. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Really appreciate talking to you and hearing your insights and experience. And uh, thank you very much. Great stuff. Thank you very much.